0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Gosh, ah, he's a living hope. Mm. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. And as you're turning there, you just give me your eyes real fast. You might have gotten one of these as you came into the room, which is a, a deacon election uh, form, and on the back is trustees. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute or in a little bit because y'all know no Pastor Ryan doesn't preach in just a minute. But um, in a little while, we're going to mention that form. Uh, we're going to come into church conference. If you didn't get one yet, we'll get you one. And we'll have some of our deacons uh, help distribute those in the time. So please, please just hold on to that. Some of you already filled that out. and You've been cheating already. And so um, just hang on, just hang on. But uh, exciting news uh, with deacon election in just a few minutes. If you've got your Bible opened or turned on, uh, or you just want to follow on the screen, uh, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? I always encourage you to grab your Bible... Um, and and open it and read it. There's nothing better than you holding God's Word in your hand. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't own a Bible. There's a black hardback one in the pew rack in front of you. Use it, and if you don't own one, please take it. That'll be our gift to you. You there, amen? All right. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Him, that's Jesus, at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. is, Is it lawful, verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness An inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. Verse 25, he said to them, Then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Verse 34, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more. but they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Verse 37, But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to Him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask Him any question. Verse 41. But He said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus called Him Lord, so how is He His son? Verse 45. And in the hearing... Of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who live who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Let's pray. Father, your Bible says in Psalm one hundred and nineteen Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Father, I pray that today you would not simply open our eyes, but our heads and our hearts also. And I pray, Father, that the the eyes and the heads and the hearts would not just be filled with information, but, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you would transform us to be more like Jesus. We want that very much. We believe in the power of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're talking about wisdom. Wisdom. And uh, Jesus, the man of wisdom. So over the past few weeks, we've been um, kind of in a series called Experiencing the Real Jesus... We sometimes will have a perception of Jesus, we've grown up with Jesus, we, we know a little about Jesus, we think we know what Jesus is like, but we might find out that in fact we don't know who Jesus really is. We know things about Jesus, but we might not have ever had a life-saving encounter with Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just come into your head, He comes into your heart, amen? I heard a preacher say one time that the longest distance known to man is the 12 inches between your head and your heart. And sometimes the Word of God goes here, but it doesn't go here. And if the Word of God doesn't go here, that means that God has not saved us. And so today, we we want to come in contact with the real Jesus. And we're talking about Jesus, the man of wisdom. Now, wisdom. Let's talk about wisdom for a minute. It is so very needed in our culture and in our country and in our world today, isn't it? Amen. But maybe you didn't know, but wisdom is different than knowledge. See, knowledge seeks to accumulate information. Wisdom seeks to apply it. And so a lot of us are very good at accumulating information. You are a whiz at Jeopardy. Anybody out there, you love Jeopardy? Is it, can I write one of like, that's me, I love Jeopardy. All right. So wisdom is not just seeking to accumulate knowledge, it's seeking to apply it. Wisdom answers the question, what do you do with what you know? And there's a big difference. Have you ever met the person who's really book smart, but got no common sense? Don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to them, okay? It, it, it seems like our culture at large has lots of information at our fingertips. More information than we could ever know what to do with. It's right at our fingertips, but we got less wisdom than ever. Come on, can I get a witness? Have you watched the news lately? All right, fair, fair enough. Our culture is fulfilled what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. They became foolish. See, information leads to knowledge, but wisdom leads to godliness. And that's what I want you to see today, that information leads us to know more things, but wisdom leads us to be like Jesus. And you know what? In the church, for the church, there is a a wisdom available to God's people that is not available to the culture. It's a particular kind of wisdom that comes only in relationship to God. There is a divine wisdom that God desires to pour out on His people, and He desires to do that in this place today, to pour out a divine wisdom from relationship to Him. This wisdom does not come with age. You might have met that person that has has gray hair or is older but lacks wisdom. The Bible never says that the older you get, the wiser you get. Sometimes the older you get, the wiser in the world you can get, but you can still be old and infantile or immature in your relationship with Jesus. This kind of wisdom that God gives comes with maturity, not age. And it comes from a kind of maturity after a a long period of time of walking with Jesus. And at times within the church, we have been guilty of trading the wisdom of God, the divine wisdom of God, with the wisdom of the world. We have brought the wisdom from outside and transferred it into God's kingdom, and then we wonder at times why our church's endeavors fail or fall short, and why our churches struggle. We, we sometimes wonder, why is our culture foolish? Why are churches weak? Why are Christian marriages failing? Why are children in Christian homes walking away from the faith? And it's because we have not sought to ground ourselves in a divine wisdom that comes from a knowledge of God. Now, here's the good news. That's the bad news, right? The bad news is, is, is I'm not as wise as I think I am. The good news is the only prerequisite to receiving wisdom is knowing that you need it. That's good news. Jesus never says, or God never says, if you need wisdom, here are the steps that you have to accomplish. Here's what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So the question this morning... Is not, um, do you know all the ways that you need wisdom and here are the seven steps to take to get wisdom? Here are the seven things that you can do to be wiser. No, it's all you've got to do is acknowledge your need and ask God for it. And I just find that to be really great news. Well, when do I do that, preacher? At any time where you lack wisdom. And if you talk to me, I say, well, that's all the time for me. It's all the time for me. I lack wisdom. I love what it says. Who gives generously. God just doesn't want to give you a little bit of wisdom. He wants to give you a lot of wisdom. And He gives it without reproach. He doesn't show favoritism in His wisdom giving. Isn't that good news? I find that to be good news. Ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given Him. So here's the, you know, just a push for today. The emphasis for today is it's time for God's people to go back to the source of all wisdom, to admit our need, and then to ask the Heavenly Father for wisdom from God. And today Luke wants us to experience true wisdom, the real Jesus, who is the man of wisdom that we too might become wise in Jesus. Now, here's what I want to show you. And, and I, I, this morning, after I typed my sermon, after it's all written up, I changed my sermon because I just felt like I didn't have time to tell you what I feel like the Lord is telling you if I walk through every verse in this passage, which you know I like to do, okay? It's the way I feel like the Bible should be preached, is walking verse by verse. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see a big picture of what happens in these Um, verses, 19 to 47. There's three sets of questions asked by three different groups of people. The first question is about, is it right to render to Caesar taxes? Jesus says, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and whose inscription is on a denarius? They said, Caesar's. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, in this passage, they asked Jesus a question. Did they ask Jesus a question with a pure heart? No. It says they wanted to trap him, they wanted to turn him over to the jurisdiction of the governor, and it even says they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They weren't sincere. Jesus says, Show me a denarius, what inscription, whose likeness is on it. Here's the point for you and for me if we want to take that and apply it to ourselves. Jesus says, render to to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. They have his likeness on them. And you render to God the things that are God's. Whose likeness do you have on you? Render to God the things that are God's. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. It was created in his image. It was created for his glory. He wants your heart. Because I promise, when he's got your heart, he's got it all. If he's got your money, he doesn't necessarily have your heart. He wants your heart. Render to God the things that are God's. And he answers, Jesus answers this question with such wisdom and in such a way that they are speechless. The second question is from the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees are different from Pharisees because the Pharisees were teachers of the law and they believed in the resurrection. And Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. See what I did there? It's an old school preacher joke. I'll be here all week. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they asked Jesus a hypothetical question about something to which they disagree with wholeheartedly. They were not asking with a pure heart. A man has a wife. He dies before he leaves any children. In the law, it says that the next of kin, the next brother in line, has to raise up children for the widow. There were seven brothers. You can see where this is going. What do you call that woman? You call her, bless her heart, because that was horrible. Not only one brother, not only one husband, but seven of them. All of them die, Jesus. None of them leave a child. When they get to heaven and they're resurrected, whose wife is she going to be? Because she had seven husbands on earth. And the answer she's in heaven, let's pray that she's not married to any of them, right? I don't know. She had a hard enough time on earth. Leave the sweet lady alone. Jesus answers the question, and he, he, he essentially says in Matthew, it records it this way, you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know God either. Because if you knew the Scriptures, and you knew the God of the Scriptures, you would know that the resurrection is a reality, You would know that the resurrection's been the resurrection since the beginning of time. You would know that when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, that Abraham believed in the resurrection. He believed that if he had to sacrifice Isaac there on the mountain, that Isaac would have been resurrected from the dead by the power of God. Why? Because God made a promise. He says, you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know God. And they were silenced before Jesus. Silenced. It even says in verse 39, teacher, you've spoken well. They no longer dared to ask him any questions in verse 40. The third set of questions, the tables turned. The tables turned. Now it's not the Sadducees or the Pharisees asking questions or the scribes. It's Jesus turning the tables and asking them questions. Okay, you say, look at verse 41. You say that the Christ is David's son, but how can it be? Look at verse 41. How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, this is straight out of Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. David in the in the, the Anointing of the Holy Spirit is so inclined to write the Scriptures that the Lord, Yahweh, says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How can it be David's son if he calls him Lord? And they're silenced. They could not answer that question. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 46, it says that no one dared to even speak a question to him anymore. Why? Here's what I want you to see. My first point for today is that Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? He is the divine wisdom of God that left heaven and came to earth. In the the, the the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament as we call it, there is a section or a kind of literature called wisdom literature. And it would involve the Psalms, the Proverbs, the book of Job. It would involve the Songs of Solomon. It would involve Ecclesiastes. These are called the books of wisdom. It's wisdom literature. And now each one of these... Mention something along the lines of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I want you to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate, which means in the flesh, that the wisdom of God left heaven and came to earth, and he had a name, and his name was Jesus. He is God's wisdom in the flesh so that you can see him, you can hear him. And relate to him. And Jesus left heaven. Came to earth as God's wisdom embodied. And I want you to understand that all of the Proverbs point to Jesus. I'm going to prove it to you. I don't have this in my sermon notes. It's not on the slide. But I want to prove it to you. The last Proverb is so clear. So clear about this. It's actually Proverbs chapter 30, verse. I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Who did that? God did. God did. And then it says this at the end of verse 4 What is his name? God, Yahweh. And what is his son's name? Surely you know. So I want you to understand that the book of Proverbs leaves us with a big question. Who did all of these things, and what's his son's name? Surely you know. In the book of Proverbs, there is a dot, 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 pointing forward to someone, not something. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man that has ever lived, says these are the things that give wisdom from God who gave all these things, who accomplished all this, and what's his son's name? I want you to be looking for that. What's his son's name? Solomon is pointing forward. Solomon was the wisest man that had ever known, or had ever lived, until Jesus came. See, Jesus is the end of all Proverbs. He is the great proverb in the flesh. Jesus is the greater Solomon. Solomon. See, you don't find wisdom, and even the Old Testament teaches us that you don't find wisdom in accumulation of stuff or information. You find it in an intimate relationship with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the accumulation of knowledge. Do we need wisdom? Yes, desperately. It comes only in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is God's Son and wisdom embodied. We need wisdom. But we cannot find wisdom in a search apart from seeking Jesus. Can we find it in relationship? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not information. But relationship to God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Now I want you to go to, the, the, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I told you I was going to skip forward, Mr. James. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. I didn't read the right one. Go to the next verse, 124, Mr. James. Doggone, did I put the wrong one in there? I did. Well, let's read that one. And because, there we go. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now go to the 131, Mr. James. I got this wrong, y'all. I need help. And because of Him, that's God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. And having this wisdom leads us to salvation. It leads us to righteousness. It leads us to redemption. And it leads us to sanctification. Jesus is the wisdom of God incarnate. The second thing I want you to see is that mankind has no excuse. Second point that I want you to, I want you to hear. Mankind has no excuse. What do you mean by that, Ryan? Ryan? When coming in contact with the divine wisdom of God in the flesh, Jesus, the man of wisdom, when we come in contact with Jesus, the man of wisdom, nobody is left with an argument at the end of the conversation. Everybody is silenced and put to shame before His wisdom. Everybody. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says it like this. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says it like this. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. They didn't dare to ask him any more questions. They were silenced before Jesus, the man of wisdom. They had no excuse. Why? Because before the infinitely wise God, we have no arguments. Prove it, Ryan. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 22 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Look at what it says. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Before God, we will have no excuses. Before Jesus, the man of wisdom, we will stand silent without, because we, all of our arguments have been silenced by His wisdom. However we were raised, whether we grew up in church or we grew up on the street. Whether you grew up knowing the Ten Commandments or you never heard the Ten Commandments. Whether you grew up in a godly family or you grew up in a heathen family. It doesn't matter. When we stand before God, we cannot say to Him, you never told me, I didn't know. We will never ask God a question that will set Him back on His heels and say, you know, Ryan, I never thought about that. You're right. We're never going to, with our wisdom, we're never going to provide such an argument that Jesus has already not made defense for. We will never be able to do that on our own wisdom. We see this played out through the book of Job. A lot of you Sunday school classes just studied through the book of Job. And in Job chapter 42, verses 3 through 6, at the end of the book, after all of Job's questioning, God says, it's my turn. Y'all remember this? God says, it's my turn. Now you be silent. Let me ask you some questions. Job, or God asks him a number of questions about who is it that created? Who is it that ordained? Who is it that established? Who is it that did all these things? Did you do that, Job? And Job says in verse 40, chapter 42, verse 3 through 6, it says, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Did you hear what Job just said? I opened my mouth without thinking. Have you ever done that before? I have the foot-in-mouth disease. Open mouth, insert foot. Any other men in here with that? We speak before we think, and that's exactly what Job says. I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Listen to what he says. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In light of the wisdom of God, Jesus incarnate, in light of Him, every mouth will be shut before God and all will be held accountable before God. No excuses. No excuses. Jesus' wisdom shuts down all of our wisdom. And that puts us in a bad place. That puts us in a bad place if we before God, have used up all our excuses of why I shouldn't be held accountable for my sin or why it's not my fault. God, it's not my fault. I wouldn't have acted this way if... Adam, did you eat of the fruit? It wasn't my fault. It was her fault. And you gave her to me. It's your fault. See, there will be every mouth will be shut before God. Romans chapter three. I don't have this one up there. It says it this way. Verse nineteen, the end of verse nineteen says, "So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God." When you stand before God, you will have no excuses, and that's why the Bible reveals that heaven is a place of weeping and gnashing of, or hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping will come from those who know they don't have an excuse. The gnashing of teeth will come from those who are still trying to put their blame on God. They're angry at the injustice they see in God, but before Jesus, they'll have no excuse. That is such bad news, but there is hope. The Bible reveals to us that the one who finds wisdom finds life. The one who finds wisdom, finds life. Who is the embodiment of wisdom? Come on now, church. I just preached for like 20 minutes. Who is the embodiment of wisdom? Jesus. Jesus is. Jesus is. I want to read what Proverbs says. Let's go back to Solomon for just a second. Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verse 13 to 18. I think we've got it on the screen, Mr. James. Here it goes. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her... The her is wisdom personified. The gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Better than silver. Better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Wisdom is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasant, pleasantness, and her, all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life, To those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now here's what Proverbs is teaching us. There is a wisdom from God that you need for your life. And if you find that wisdom from God, you will find life itself. You will find the truest form of life that you ever wanted to live. You will find all of the things that you've looked for in the world, but the world could never offer back. You will find them not in stuff, not in information, but in a person. Because no one can provide this kind of wisdom to you unless God Himself provides it to you. No one can offer this kind of satisfaction to your weary soul like God can offer this satisfaction to your weary soul. Nobody can do for you, you can't do for you, what Jesus has come to accomplish on your behalf. And so it teaches us to look for wisdom in this life apart from Jesus is a vain endeavor. A lot of people want godly wisdom they want to know what's wise and to do the right thing. But listen, you can seek wisdom and all the benefits that we've just listed in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. You can seek wisdom and all the benefits, and you can miss Jesus. Did you know that? And lots of people have. You want to know how I know that? Because the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They sought the wisdom of God apart from relationship to Him. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, He says, you didn't know the Scriptures or God. If you'd known the Scriptures, that would have led you to God. and You didn't know the God of the Scriptures. You can can seek for wisdom all your life. And you can miss Jesus. And you can end up separated from God in, in a devil's hell forever. But let me promise you something. If you seek Jesus... And you find him, you'll find wisdom and all her benefits too. In Jesus, you will find everything that your heart has ever longed for. Everything. Everything that is necessary for this life that you're trying to live. Everything that's necessary for the relationships that are difficult. Everything that's necessary for how to navigate this world of COVID. Everything that's necessary for how to navigate marriages and raising children. Everything that's necessary to learn how to navigate sickness and death. Everything that's necessary, you will find it if you simply find Jesus. So how do I seek wisdom? How do I seek wisdom? I know I need wisdom. Remember, it says the only prerequisite is to know that you need it. And Pastor Ryan desperately needs wisdom for these days. He's never led a church like Seneca Baptist Church before. He's never led a church in COVID. Did you know that I skipped that class? Had a pastor in a pandemic. I skipped that class. I'm sorry. I have let you down. Seminary. I just, I missed that day. No, I want, I, I want to write my seminary a letter and go, I want my money back. That piece of paper ain't doing me anything. I'm, I need some other classes. I need wisdom. And how much does our culture need it? How do I seek wisdom? The first thing that I want you to know is look to Christ's cross. Look to Christ's cross. Let me tell you what the Scriptures say. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Where's the one who's wise? Let me tell you, if somebody asks that question, I'm not raising my hand. Where's the one who's wise? I'm putting my hands in my pockets, okay? Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The folly of what we preach. What's Paul preaching? The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. Have you seen that on the news lately? We are so wise as a country, but man, we seem like idiots. Don't we? Okay, just me. I'm not trying to be political or anything. I'm just saying. As we adapt and evolve as a country... And as we walk farther and farther from the Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded upon, we're claiming to be wise and we're proving ourselves to be fools. But Paul says that God made foolish the wisdom of the world so that He could make wise the ones who would trust in the foolish plan of God for salvation. Do you know, I've looked at the cross of Jesus Christ before and i said, this is nonsense. This just, this just doesn't make sense that God would do something like this. And he says, yeah, that's right. It's the foolishness of the cross that saves people. You think you can save people by being wise? You think you can save yourself by being wise? You think your wisdom can get you out of hell? It can't. You think your wisdom can get you on a right path with God or have a right relationship with God? It can't. So God did something that is absolutely, seemingly absurd. He came. He left heaven, came to earth to do for you what He couldn't do for you. Or what you couldn't do for you. He came to do for you what we couldn't accomplish ourselves. That that the God, the infinite God of the universe, became an infant. That's crazy talk. It's through the foolishness of the cross that people are saved. It might seem like folly to some, but let me tell you, for those who believe it's the power of God for salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. If you want to be wise in this world, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. He became wisdom for you. He became righteousness for you a righteousness that you did not have he became sanctification now there are a lot of people inside the church who want to be saved but they don't want to be sanctified I just want the get out of hell free card but I want to keep living how I want to live I want salvation but I don't want sanctification And the Bible reveals to us very clearly that if Jesus is not sanctifying me, He probably never saved me. Because a salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, that kind of salvation always leads a person to be sanctified or to be made like Jesus. Always. But churches are filled with people who want to be saved but not sanctified. You can't have one without the other. You just can't. And it says right here that he became wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom can't save. Only the foolishness of the cross can. Christ can redeem a life lost in the foolishness of this world. Thank God he can because he redeemed me from the, foolishness, the foolish road that I was walking down. He can redeem you too. Christ must redeem not only me, but He's going to redeem the wisdom of the world. Now let me tell you, let me talk about this I'm going to talk just for a second. Every piece of wisdom that you hear from the world needs to be filtered through the filtration system of the Word of God. See, Jesus, the wisdom of God, saves and sanctifies. So how do I seek wisdom? Look to the cross of Christ. Number two, how do I seek wisdom... Open God's Word. Open God's Word. You you mean the Bible? I just don't like reading, Pastor. Brother or sister, if if that's you and you don't like reading the Bible, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because God has ordained the main way that He reveals Himself to us is not a preacher's voice, but His own in His Word. Speak to me, God. It's almost like God wants to say, here you go. I just want to hear your voice. Just read it out loud, you will. Look to the cross. Open your Bible. We provide Bible reading plans because reading the Bible is hard and you don't know where to start and it gets easier with time sometimes. Sometimes I'm reading the one year Bible reading plan And after last year, I read the two-year Bible reading plan. And the one year is much harder than the two-year. But we provide those plans for you because we believe one of the most transforming things in the life of a Christian who's already been saved is a daily relationship with Jesus through the Bible. There's nothing that I can do for you that will transform your life like the Bible can if you just open it. But I can't do that for you. I can preach to you till I'm blue in the face. So I'm sweating and my voice is hoarse, but I, I can't cause you to open your Bible for you. Open your Bible. You, we need Christ-centered preaching. I just want to remind you, be careful who you're listening to out there. Be careful. I'm not going to mention a single name, but everything you hear, like Acts chapter 17, you should take back to the Word of God, and you should open up the Scriptures and say, does that line up with this? Because this never changes, and preachers are very fallible. Look to the cross, open God's word, and three, get in biblical community. Get in biblical community. The Bible says in the Proverbs that there is wisdom found in the counsel of many. Wisdom found in the counsel of many. Yet so many of us want to live our lives separated from community. You've got to get in a biblical community. I don't just mean church. Church is a good start. Church is a great start but this is not where we do life together and not where we invite people to speak into our lives, not where we open up about our hearts, not where we share our feelings and our struggles. That, this is not where we do that. This is where I yell at you for an hour. Welcome to church. But I tell you, Sunday school is a great place to make that happen. To build the kind of relationships that you know people are praying for you and you know people are speaking truth to you. You need biblical community. You were not created to do life alone. I wasn't created a pastor alone. You're not created to live alone. That's why God looked at Adam and said, poor buddy, he needs a helper. It's why God gave men women. Isn't that a good gift from the Lord? Amen, guys? Because we were not made to do it alone. That's why God... Built the nation of Israel, tribes. That's why God created the church because we couldn't do it alone. We're not made to. We need biblical community. There's wisdom in the council of many. And let me tell you, this is this. I'm gonna end right here. But we we talk about we talk about community and Sunday school and things like that. But I'm gonna take it to another level. You need people that you trust enough that can say hard things into your life. You need accountability. I need accountability. I need people who are willing to look at me and say, Ryan, you were wrong. You need that. They don't say it to tear me down, they say it to build me up. I need people who are willing to disagree. And you do too. You need biblical community, and, and they're going to do that speaking the truth in love to someone that they desperately care looks more like Jesus. Jesus. So today, I I just want to remind you that Jesus is true wisdom. He is wisdom embodied. He's wisdom in the flesh. You and I are desperate for wisdom. We need wisdom. And so God makes this beautiful promise that if you lack it, ask for it and he'll give it. So today, if you want to find wisdom, you seek Jesus at the cross. You open his word and you get into biblical community. And guess what? He will offer wisdom to you like never before. He will. And so I'm going to pray for us. If you need to meet Jesus today, you come talk to me. There's not going to be a time of invitation today. But I'm here. The invitation is open. If you need to meet with me, come meet with me. I'll, I'll take you to, to supper or buy you coffee or whatever you need to trust Jesus. But I just want to pray for us and for our nation that we might have wisdom in the, these days moving forward. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And what we, we confess is that we lack wisdom. I lack wisdom as a, a Christian many days, just not knowing how to live in this world. I lack Christian as a husband, not knowing how to love my wife the best. I lack Christian at, uh, wisdom as a daddy, not knowing how to parent my children like you want me to parent my children. I lack wisdom as a pastor. I lack I lack wisdom in so many different ways. Thankful for your promise it says if we lack it we ask for it. Father I, I pray my prayer today is that you would give us wisdom individually that we would seek Jesus to find the wisdom of God. Father I ask for it at, for our church that we would know how to move forward in uncertain days uncertain times. That we would seek the wisdom of God through Jesus. And as a church, we would be wise in this world. As a church, we would know how to function and how to act. And know how to reach our community. And know how to love you. I pray for wisdom for our church. I pray for wisdom for our nation and its leaders. I pray for our president that you would grant to him a wisdom from on high. To our to his cabinet of those who who speak I pray that you would give them godly wisdom that he might make better decisions. Father, This is not for us to be amazing, but we want wisdom for your glory. In our life and in our church and in our nation, we want wisdom for your glory. We love you, Lord. We need you. We thank you for today. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. So we're